Hello and welcome to the review show presented by Real. My name's Phil. And my name's Corey. This is, as you might expect, our show in which we review films. <laughs> this is mostly new films, although at the end of the show we're going to do our typical Real Rewind uh, in which we talk about some things that aren't so new. But uh, on today's show we're going to be talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, The Killer, Foe, Quiz Lady, Passages. Passages? I, I keep going to say Passages. passages. We're not reviewing the Chris Pratt, uh, Jennifer Lawrence sci-fi film. I mean, we can if you want. I, I mean, do it. No, I don't want to do that. It's a, super <laughs> a really mid film. blockbuster. That's really yeah, shit. super mid. <laughs> yeah, it's mid mid shit, is it? It is shit. <laughs> Yes, that's yes, it is shit. Anyway, um, why don't you kick us off then, Corey? Because obviously, as I say, we've got a couple of big hitters to start. Why don't you kick us off with Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese film? Marty Scorsese, yeah. Um, so Scorsese. I went to watch this in the cinema, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, um uh, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone. Uh, this is, I mean, first off, it's very long. Um, <laughs> this is uh, just like, I mean, obviously the previous film you made was The Irishman, wasn't it? And that yes, was that, also now that's long. long. <laughs> yeah, um, this was three and a half hours, um, and it's about the um, Native American people that were in the Osage Nation. And they actually discovered oil um, and became some of the wealthiest people in the country. And essentially what happened was, is that when these Native Americans became wealthy, there was um, white people that tried to take advantage of it. And that's kind of what the story is about. It's about, um, it's sort of a murder mystery, um, but it's more about, it's more about how evil can live in plain sight. And I think actually... It's something, it feels very different to a Scorsese film, I think, from what we've seen. I mean, other than maybe, so his past two films, obviously, have been The Irishman and then Silence. And I feel like they're very tonally, and although Irishman is about sort of gangsters and the mafia, there's a tonally uh, quite like patient storytelling to that. Uh, I mean, it has to be, it's over four hours. Um <laughs> And then Silence, obviously, is a slow burner in its own right. And uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is of a similar ilk to that. I think maybe the things that Scorsese has become known for, especially in things like Casino and Goodfellas, this like and Wolf of Wall Street, this pace that he's always been able to inject into his films. I think Killers of the Flower Moon succeeds more because it kind of is the anti that. Like it's very very slow, but it also has these like really great scenes of tension and stuff like that and it's performed brilliantly um robert de niro is great he kind of plays just plays robert de niro really but there is something kind of unsettling about him he's essentially the uh mastermind behind this um uh i don't know what you would call it basically just trying to squeeze as much wealth out of the um out of the native american people as you can and then leonardo DiCaprio plays his nephew in another really good performance actually i think with leo you kind of know what you're going to get with the leo performance sometimes it's very rare 
I mean, he's done obviously some performances in the past that have been very different, but this one is he's not doesn't have that same like suaveness to him. He's very purposely quite a um, he's an idiot basically, um, <laughs> and it's his and Robert De Niro is his uncle and sort of convinces him to get involved with the Native American people. And then Lily Gladstone plays uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's wife and kind of the central figure and trying to work out why her family is being kind of like torn apart and basically murdered. Um, that's sort of the big picture and it explores a lot. And I will say this, like I, I've always, I mean, we've had conversations about this before about films that are such like a hefty length um, is that if the film feels like it has a reason to do so then it's absolutely fine and i think it as well for me and like it's like if you settle in knowing full well that you're here for this longevity you're going to be absorbed into this world for this long it can sometimes be a pleasure um i would say because killers of the flower moon pretty much succeeds with that the only time maybe so there's a moment around the two, two hours 40 mark or two hours 30 mark i would say where the FBI finally get involved after Lily Gladstone's character pushes and pushes for them to get involved. And I don't know, there is, I think, part of me, and then there's some, like, trials and stuff like that, and I feel like this bit is what brings the film down because you've been sat there, you've committed to it for about two hours and 45 minutes, and then it, this is the only part that to me that felt dragged out. Um, right. And then, uh, but that's probably the only thing i would say against the film i think it's a brilliant a brilliant film and it suits scorsese and it, it's not that it shows a maturity as well because i mean the guy is in his 80s and he's one of <laughs> the most mature filmmakers out there but um i don't know it's nice to see a change of pace and also it's nice to see scorsese understanding where the story's coming from because i mean after i watched it even you may have done the same thing. I've read a few things about how uh, Native Americans have reacted to it and stuff like that. And I've seen mixed things. I mean, there's people that have said, you know, I don't know if he should be the one telling the story and possibly that it might be true. But I have to say, I think he tells it with a lot of grace. And yeah, I think Scorsese continues to sort of reaffirm his name as one of the best directors of all time and mm. if he continues to make films like Killers of the Flower Moon at his age I think that is so brilliant It's nice actually talk because we've spoken quite a few times about how much we respect someone of the calibre of like Scorsese and also people like Spielberg and not to say that Spielberg is making bad films nowadays but he's not making the calibre of films that he used to and it's nice no, not, that we no. are still getting film like especially because i wasn't super high on the irishman um and not not that i thought he'd kind of lost his touch it just wasn't my favorite film of scorsese and that was actually what i was going to ask you is that i think a lot of criticism for the irishman is that it was just too long and that it would have yeah. suited probably the structure of maybe limited series or something like that better than just one yeah. big film um and you did you didn't think that this had the same sort of crit like the the valid criticism that the, the irishman had and i think i was so i do because i understand that about the irishman i felt that when i watched mm. it uh, i really liked the irishman i think it's brilliant but you're right it could have been done in like i mean it's not unheard of just to do like a four hour miniseries like a four episode yeah 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 miniseries is it 
So yeah, and I suppose the argument could be made for all films of that length. But I do, I, I do think a little bit with Killers of the Flower Moon, it's slightly different because although there are a lot of characters, it's not like it's not like a tv show where all these different characters are in their like singular moments it very much is about um robert in the background robert de niro's character kind of pulling these strings acting like this savior for the uh savior and support for the native american people and then really he's the one who's um basically behind everything and leonardo dicaprio's character and uh, lily gladstone's character they are the central uh, figures really so i don't i didn't know if you would i suppose you probably could because again it's the length of it you probably could do that but i i didn't feel that when i was watching it i didn't go this should be a tv show i was like this is a film this is a really good epic that just unfortunately maybe for the span of about 20 minutes yeah is, but it's like you've been sat there for two hours and 40 minutes and then it decides to start dragging then and you're like oh my god um but no, I don't think I'm not going to be I'm not going to say that I think it should have been a TV show. I don't think that at all. Um, no, that's good. I think it's... No, it's not. Not that I think that that's necessarily like it's. It would be weird to say. Oh, I think the Irishman should have been a TV show. I think it's just the as a film, it's very long, and if you wanted to tell a story of that length, it might have been better suited as a as a yeah, series. Yeah. But that. There's yeah. no point in, like harping on about whether or not it would have been necessarily better in a sense because it's just a weird comparison yeah. to make because you make TV well, I, I guess so different anyway. I guess it was more yeah. It was just it's it's good to hear that you don't feel that the length is so you, and it, of a film that length, any film that length, you're going to have moments where it dips. It just depends whether that dip and the slowdown and the pace and the story is something you kind of need like you know recently i spoke about lawrence of arabia and how lawrence of arabia has yeah. the intermission in the middle which is quite nice because it gives you that time to just have a breather whereas this is a similar length to lawrence of arabia um you know and i'm not i'm not saying that where you because i haven't seen it i'm not saying that section you said that um about where the fbi come where you sort of like it loses some of the engagement for you is necessarily a bad moment that you need to sort of have your toilet break but i think with a longer film it's incredibly impressive to try and keep your audience's attention for that long without any dips at all um so i'm sure yeah. he's done a fantastic yeah. job of it because i have as I, I haven't seen this yet unfortunately <laughs> i think to be honest it's going to be think it's going to be around oscar season isn't it i mean it's scorsese and it's yeah got a really uh great response from everyone so seeing it's likely that i mean i'm sure you'll watch it when we get nearer to that time or even in the next few weeks i don't know but um i would I, I would never not recommend this film essentially i think yeah i think it no it, i don't yeah I, I don't know i think i think with scorsese in the past few years i've sort of people people always like hold on and cherish his like his entire filmography but i feel like he's actually shown quite a different style in the past few films mm. he's done and it's yeah. actually quite a nice change and um yeah killers of the flower moon is brilliant and i would probably say i mean this is based on the fact that you know i i i, th I personally think it's not been the strongest year for films i know but that's coming from someone who has not seen loads and loads and loads uh i would put it up there as like one of the better ones i've seen um mm. Maybe not like top three, but it's definitely in that uh, of that ilk. Um, 
but yeah no it's really good and i think everyone should at least watch it once even if you know these long films you know i mean i said to you props for watching lawrence of arabia okay <laughs> yeah but, um, well i mean yeah i'd, yeah. I'd watch it once but I'd, i definitely didn't pay attention to it as much as i should have done but i mean i i will definitely sit down and watch it it's just haven't got around to it yet it's a difficult film to just pop on and, and fit around your life i think that sort of length is a big commitment no it's very true yeah so and i mean i definitely will watch them for the oscars because we always do an oscar podcast and uh yeah you know our oscar podcast always do well in in, in the view so uh, which always helps <laughs> <laughs> but no uh, yeah no i will definitely get around to watching it and i think it's interesting saying about how you don't think this year's been necessarily the best year of film i do think we'll have to wait another couple of months because we have that weird thing in the UK yeah, about yeah. how a lot of the Oscar-y type films don't come out until like January, February here, which is always frustrating. Very true. Um, yeah. So it's, it's difficult I'm to also, say whether... Sorry, go on. I feel like I'm also kind of um, basing that on the fact that I just haven't watched as many like 2023 films as I say I would have last year for 2022. No, I, like, I, think, I mean, we peaked I think in 2020. Right, though. I, think. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, 2020 was, we watched a lot of films. Um, I think you're right, though. I do think this hasn't been the best year for film. I think part of that is the strikes. I know that uh, they didn't necessarily stop loads of films coming out now. They're going to stop some films. We're going to have a sort of weird uh, uh, production schedule, I think, or like release schedule for the next year or so because of the knock-on effect of the strikes. Oh, right. but uh well it, it a lot of stuff had to stop production didn't it and it's a lot of the productions aren't continuing picking up till next year so there's going to be probably eight months at least where there wasn't things being made whereas yeah. you know you'd have stuff being made all year round um so it's, it's kind of a bit of a weird yeah it, i mean it's happened before uh and you know i'm sure it happened get, happen again unfortunately but anyway uh killers of the flower moon i'm glad to what did you give it just out of interest i gave it a four purely yeah. for the i think it's a very high four i mean i maybe i feel like i've been quite cynical with just this year in general but um <laughs> it would be a very high floor and i actually i actually would rewatch it and i think when we when we come towards sort of oscar season i might um and it's probably going to be on streaming and or it'll be somewhere uh to rent or something i probably will give it a watch and you know maybe not be compelled to sit in one seat for three and a half hours <laughs> but you know take my time with it and i think uh, i think maybe take it in a little bit more um yeah i think it felt like because i was sort of I, it's been a long time since i watched a film of that length in cinema and like i feel like you, you kind of starting to like especially with my height and my knees um, I was sort of just like I just I just feel like I'm in like physical pain now. <laughs> um, but no, uh, I gave it I, I gave it a high four. Nice. I was gonna say I also do think that like rewatching Lawrence of Arabia, I got a lot more out of it than I did the first time round with a film that yeah. length because it ha- you have to be engaged for so long. I think it is quite mentally tiring. You can't appreciate yeah, every yeah. aspect of a film like having watched Lawrence of Arabia before and being like pretty clued up on what the story was i didn't really have to pay attention to 
the narrative and the characters in the sense of like keeping up so i knew what actually was going on because i knew what was going to happen i could take in every other aspect of the film which i think is really nice uh so hopefully you get that uh because of flower moon speaking of uh lower (laughs) lower ratings and potentially other people because i know that kills flower moon got quite a lot of five stars um yeah do you want to talk about the killer for a bit the new david fincher film um this is based on i think it's a graphic novel or is it it's either a book or a graphic novel um starring michael fassbender in the titular role of the killer um i think it's pretty safe to say like it's not really spoiler territory to say that he's an assassin uh and hit goes wrong and it's kind of everything that happens after the hit goes wrong that's yeah. not really that's kind of that's just the basic plot of the film right that's not really yeah spoiler well, yeah that's basically the yeah that's basically it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um i saw this just before you and i gave it a little bit of a harsh rating i think but i i said to you after i after i had rated it that uh the film stuck with me for the wrong reasons i finished it and i was kind of like that was fine i expected a lot more for from a david fincher film i think and then the more it sat with me particularly the ending the more it sat with me the more i was like you know what i just don't think i liked it at all i just i i think i really the ending really really made me bitter on it i really didn't like the ending at all and i think I think potentially I just didn't get the film. And so it's a shame when something like that happens, when you just watch a film and it just isn't hitting you for whatever reason, it didn't hit me in the right way. Um, I thought it was really dull. Uh, I thought the story was so unengaging, you know, talking about killers of flower moon, they kept you engaged for three and a half hours. This is yeah, two twenty, I want to say two thirty, something like that. And I was bored before the hit failed which is when he's in Paris in that um, uh, sort of like, it's a, I think we work, isn't it? Which was quite funny, actually. The sort of we work yeah. uh, dilapidated office. I, at first, I was into the, what he was doing, the, the sort of voiceover, but it kind of just grated on me after a while. Uh, and it doesn't really, it doesn't really let up on, on the voiceover. I think the voiceover has some sort of interesting things where he's like, talking and then action on screen interrupts his voiceover it's almost as if he's actually narrating himself in that moment um but i don't know it just i'd like to hear what you think because we haven't spoken about this at all yet but as i say it just didn't work for me uh i i feel like this is going to sound harsh i th- i feel like it's just a pretty dull uh john wick-esque type film it's it's it, it almost feels in some way like someone was just i mean maybe john wick was inspired by the original graphic novel i'm not sure but uh i don't know it, it feels like someone thought oh i can do something different with this story and i don't know it just it didn't work for me yeah interesting um yeah so i obviously only watched this this morning um oh just, i didn't realize I like it was it. today <laughs> yeah i literally watched it this morning um uh and I think, so I, I probably wouldn't go maybe like not same level of um, rating as you. I probably so I gave it a three, but yeah, I I'm basing it this purely. I mean, there's something. I mean, you've said you've had time to mull it over, and you're saying sort of the bad stuff stayed with you. 
which to be honest is all that's already kind of started with me um mm. so but like and, and another thing is like the film is only two hours long and like you thinking that it's like two and a half hours just shows how much oh, God. you thought it was yeah yeah, so yeah. I, at like, no point did i ever feel like the pacing was no good it, or e- even the action scenes i think oh although there's some fantastic choreography and stuff even the action scenes just felt long every aspect of this yeah. felt long to me yeah so well i'll start with the things i liked i think it's shot really well mm. i think it's and i like the intention of um sort of the inner monologue uh that he's giving while he's preparing for all of these things because uh, it is a very like isolated job, and he says that and stuff. I quite liked the inner monologue. I do get the start; it is interesting, and then it's kind of not interesting. Um, mm. It 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 drags on. But my biggest problem is I think this, like, kind of what you said, is that I think it thinks it's being super different when in reality it's very similar to a lot of films out there about hide assassins, and also there is just no evolution of character. Like it's just nothing. No. Like, yeah. He starts the. Film that, that's why annoyed me about the end so much. I think. Yeah. So, I just, yeah. I, yeah, I think. Saying, yeah. yeah, it's kind of they're the two big things for me that really dragged it down. I actually really liked it, probably up until. I actually found some of it quite tense, and then I'd say probably, just, like probably after post Tilda Swinton. Mm. I all found that pretty uninspired and pretty uninteresting. And even in that Tilda yeah. Swinton bit, I was kind of starting to switch off because I just think I understand what he's going for, what Finch is going for. Obviously, he's in a similar ilk to something like Gone Girl, where it's like quite slow burning, but in Gone Girl is so engaging. And I just found this to be nowhere near that. And it also kind of reminds me of like the. Um, not the same film, but that film with Joaquin Phoenix. I think is it the Lynn Ramsey uh, film. Uh, you were never really. There, oh, you were never really. Here. Yeah, that I really liked that film. Yeah, I love that film, and I think when you compare the two, you're kind of looking at one film and going, actually, what that, or what the, uh, what you never really there one has is that, or oh, sorry, you were never really here, is the what what that has is some really fucking inspiring direction, like like it's almost like completely against the grain that works effortlessly mm. and then you've got another film that feels like it's trying to do the same thing but and in fact kind of is just falling into being mediocre and just in in the mix with a bunch of other hired assassin films that no one can remember yeah can i do, i'll jump off that as well by saying that i think it's actually an interesting comparison so one of the reasons why you ain't never really here works is and the tension works is because unless you read the source material i think you were never really here is also based off of something else um right i i feel like you don't know really where it's going you like there's yeah. a very real you feel like there's a very real possibility of bad things happening to joaquin phoenix at no point did i actually think michael fassbender's character was in danger even in the big sort of like i mean there's a there's a fight scene in particular which i think you were supposed to feel quite tense about whether how he was going to make it out i just didn't i just felt like it was pretty plain yeah. and clear where the story was going i just obviously as i say i don't like it how it ha- what how sort of the ending resolves i didn't see that coming <laughs> but i think the rest no. of it is just as you say it's just a bit uninspired it just doesn't really go anywhere and i don't really understand what the point was i've seen 
plenty of um, analysis online and lots of people talking about how it's sort of Fincher looking at his own career in a retrospective. And, and uh, hang on, let me see. There was one in particular I think I could get up that's quite brief. I think they gave it four or five stars. So I think... Well, just just so I've we can know, so I was four stars. I have seen quite a someone... few like decent reviews of it, like even from like people like Guardian. I think Guardian gave it five stars. Yeah, I've seen loads of really positive reviews. That's why I was a bit like dis- I, I, one of the reasons I think I was so disappointed in it. It says here um, an argument exists that the killer himself is the personification for Fincher's own filmmaking neurosis, methodical to the point of obsession, the pains of professionalism, and the desperation that sets in when uh, an avoidable mistake is made, even if it isn't. Uh, I loved it every second of this, is what this guy says. That's all very interesting uh, analysis. Yeah. I don't think that it's an interesting film to watch though and i've i you know you talk about how well it's shot it is fantastically well shot and again i've seen like tiktoks and people talking online about like they were doing analysis of how every time the killer is in, in control of something and it's good because there's a the whole thing of like being in control and don't go off the plan and stuff every time that's happening the camera is uh still on a tripod or something like that and when the plan goes off everything goes handheld and they were talking about oh god this is incredible and i'm like it's good but like a, a, a director of fincher's caliber i think you expect a bit more than that like that's the kind of thing i think would happen in a really good student film which I, it sounds really harsh yeah i feel like you expect more from fincher than that sort of like level of analysis that's pretty surface level stuff i think fincher has always had a way with filmmaking that you can just pick apart every detail because you know that i think that review i just read was correct in that you know finch is well known for his um uh methodical nature of, of filmmaking um yeah but i don't know i just i don't think it makes for an interesting film i think as i said i think and it's pretty harsh to say that it's pretty boring but i just i, I think it is and it just doesn't work which is a shame because i don't think anyone is necessarily bad in it i think michael fastbender does a pretty good job in it but i don't know the pieces just don't come together for me personally no well that's fine i mean just because i mean i i do agree actually because there is stuff that i really didn't like and again i go back to that character evolution one thing i actually did like mm. but maybe i don't get the payoff because of um uh because of this lack of like character change and stuff like that is that i actually quite like the build-ups to him executing the plan like mm. i know we talked about this the opening um we talked about the opening but then all the other ones where he's like getting prepped and stuff like that i quite liked all that i thought it was it was actually super interesting and it because it's always building and building i i quite liked all of it but yeah i think and also i quite liked this thing where he kept saying to himself like um what is it it's like oh yeah don't don't improvise is it it's um anticipate yeah yeah. stick to the plan and yeah. stick to the plan and I felt like as it was going on that was kind of going out the window as he got more and more frazzled about stuff but then mm. and I, this is what this so for the whole trajectory I was just like I really like where this is going it's very very subtle but I was like I like where it's going and then it kind of just kind of stops at some point and that's kind of it I don't know I, yeah, yeah I, th- I was I, there's things I really didn't like but as a I didn't I wasn't I wouldn't say I was like super 
bored or anything. I don't. There wasn't things that I absolutely like abhorrently just hated. I think there was some really good stuff in it. And I thought Michael Fassbender was great in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, my criticism sounds harsher, but as I say, I think I can't shake the fact that I everything I because I've I saw it three days ago. I think now. I just haven't shaken the negatives and I'm struggling to remember the things I like about it. Because I'm saying Michael Fassbender's good in it and the cinematography is good, but I can't think of specific moments that were good, but I can think of lots of moments that I didn't like about it, which is a shame. And I think partially one of the reasons I'm being harsher about this film on this film than I potentially usually would be is because you do expect something a bit better from David Fincher, I think by this point yeah of course uh he he's a well-known director an extremely good director and i know not everything he makes is a hit this is a you know prime example for me but i I think let's not dwell on it for too much longer because i don't like to rag on you know I, i don't mind ragging on really shit films when they are especially shit but i think they really tried to do something with this film i just don't think it came together um yeah so why don't you because i haven't seen this one foe i don't actually know too much about this film what is it um what is it <laughs> it's a film <laughs> no really uh, oh <laughs> didn't we talked about those here uh so foe is like a sci-fi kind of yeah, yeah it is sci-fi i guess uh sci-fi drama um kind of like a relationship drama at the same time uh starring Paul Mescal and um, Saoirse Ronan. It's based on a novel by Ian Reid of the same name. Uh, he's the same guy who wrote I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and I've read the book, oh, actually, okay. of Foe, and the book is fucking great. Um, hmm. So it's a similar thing. This is all going to sound very similar to you. Do you remember when I reviewed Where the Crawdads Sing? Yeah. And I was oh, super no. disappointed. Yeah. It's going to be similar vibes here. But, um oh, no basically yeah uh the setup is that um a strange man comes to this farmhouse where um Saoirse Ronan's, Saoirse Ronan's character called Hen and Paul Mescal's character called Junior they live pretty quiet life um uh this kind of mysterious man kind of government kind of not government man comes to the door and says that Junior has been picked to go up to a space station in order to sort of um they're basically trying to find life that isn't on earth because earth is kind of dying um and junior has been selected to go on this program for um two well for a few years and it's time for them as a couple to climatize to the idea of junior not being there and also they want to replace him with an ai version of himself to in, in order to make hen feel comfortable and then what unravels is um so this mysterious man is called uh terence and i think originally actually in the original casting it was meant to be uh lakeith stanfeld but they uh they couldn't get him um so it's uh aaron pierre who i don't know if you would have seen but i've watched him in the ground railroad he's really good oh Um, um so he got and he kind of like wants to spend time with them to like acclimate them to this new change and then also to like interview junior for when this ai comes and interview hen and try and like understand them as a couple and then that's how like the fractures start happening in the marriage and they all kind and it all kind of starts you know 
things start to unravel and things uh, stuff like that basically i won't spoil it but um yeah I, so i love the book because it's so got so many great parts where it's so tense and things are unraveling so slowly and we get to know the thought process of both hen and junior um and it's just it's just brilliant it's a brilliant book this one seems to just sort of like gloss over everything very quickly um I, d I love the intention of it but then again the story is already there for them to use mm. um I, I i i mean the narrative's super interesting but then again they are just pulling and i think they just sort of it's a lot of like wishy-washy sort of transition scenes of people looking uh upset or sad and even uh, like as much as i love paul mescal and i love Saoirse ronan they're both good in this film there's even a couple of scenes where they're like their language like body language and uh their approach to the character seems a bit off as well uh, i don't know it just it's a very kind of off film that never can really like stick anything can never make anything feel concrete um and i just sort of and then by the time you get this sort of like big ending where you find something out which is uh i mean when i read the book it was just like so good i loved it um and but so there's a thing as well where it, part of the story is, is that Junior is able to tell what his wife is feeling and, and like the whole point is she's kind of like I don't think he does understand he thinks he does but he understands her because of her body language and in the start there's like a bit where it kind of goes for it kind of shows that it tries to show that like shows Junior watching her and she's like playing with her hair and mm -hmm. it like very much focuses on this playing with the hair and then for the rest of the film absolutely categorically doesn't even hint that that's a thing she does it's just a random shot of her playing with her hair uh... and then and then it becomes a part of this like twist reveal but it still just makes no sense and i'm like oh, it was again another thing this is why i don't read books <laughs> <laughs> and then watch films because i just sorely disappointed every single time um yeah. but no it, it's super disappointing and if i'm honest it feels a bit oscar baity um just uh. the style of it the very like wishy-washy nature of it one of those really shallow oscar bait films with not really a lot to say it just has two pretty strong ish strong ish performances from two quite established actors and uh well, i mean it's a successful director as well i don't know if you saw saw who directed it it's a guy called garth davis you probably know yes, him from yeah yeah lion <laughs> he did lion yeah, yeah which i think we i think we yeah, both Lion's great as well. think's a pretty fantastic film yeah great film well this is what i mean uh, yeah when that's, got that's film, a real shame when you've got a film like lion that was so like it's kind of just very like enriching to watch like the story is so mm. heartfelt without being sort of sentimental like overly sentimental and it's such a good balance whereas this one is just sort of nothing and it's a bit frustrating i think i think it is it one it's frustrating for people who have read the book and liked the book two it's frustrating for anyone who likes uh who has an expectation going into this film with its cast and director and stuff i just it's a big miss unfortunately that's a real shame that's a real shame because i mean i having a look at it maybe i had seen something about it uh i i, I didn't realize quite what the plot was and that does sound really interesting but i think maybe i'll just read the book instead of watching the film <laughs> which is sad because this is a film podcast and we both love film 
Um, but unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I would suggest it's weird, isn't I would it? Suggest that. That. I do think there are plenty of film adaptations that are fantastic adaptations of books, but I think the biggest criticism and all, you know the valid criticism you get when you make a bad adaptation is either missing the point in the book or just like it like it sounds like you're talking about with the hair like the sort of the sort of playing with the hair yeah and not yeah, yeah doing anything with most of the film it's just kind of weak direction is that you focus on something that's brought up in the book but then in the book you can write in and then she played with her hair in tiny little sections here and there. So you're constantly reminded that that thing's happening. But if you don't show it in a film, people are going to forget about it. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, I well, I think, like I said, that whole bit where she's like playing with her hair in the book, Junior is saying, oh, I know what's happening when she does that. I mean, she's lying. And then she does a couple of other things. He's like, oh, uh, and then she starts to change very slowly. And he's like, oh, I don't quite like understand her body language and stuff like that. Um, and like the, there is ways to do that without him just uh, there was ways to like adapt that without like him just being like oh she's playing with her hair blah blah but like instead of but all he does is just show one shot of it and then just never continues it and it's just very first that was just mm. that's like one thing that I pulled from that I really hated but um, no it's I think just from a film aspect as well it, yeah kind of a bit wishy-washy and a bit nothing really and um yeah. has this sort of big ending that obviously um for people who have read the book already know that ending but i was really excited to see how they portrayed that and it kind of just because the film kind of just isn't doesn't have the build uh it's just it, they just don't nail it really that's a shame well why don't we move on to another thing we've both seen um going yes. from you know a, a big thinking person sci-fi that doesn't quite hit why don't we talk about another big thinking person's film quiz lady um <laughs> which i think actually is the exact opposite of a thinking person's film which i don't know technically is... <laughs> well yeah that's true there's yeah of, there's a lot of quiz questions right <laughs> so it's, it's a thinking person yeah comedy. yeah <laughs> yeah it is but the, I, I, what I mean by that is that you don't need to sit down and pay attention, and you you can no, you, you can don't. just enjoy. It's just an easily enjoyable film, and I mean that as a compliment. Sometimes it's really nice to have a film that doesn't require you to analyze every little detail. That isn't three and a half. I think this is eighty minutes long. Uh, how long is it? Ninety nine minutes. I'm thinking of something else. So it's like just over an hour and a yeah. half, hour and forty. So it's a good length for a comedy. It's um Aquafina and Sandra O oh in you know they're playing sisters where Aquafina's a I can't remember she works for HR or something like that in a, just a really boring company but she loves this quiz show called Can't Stop the Quiz which is hosted by um Will Ferrell or at least a character that Will Ferrell's playing uh she just knows every answer her sister comes and stays with her records this video of her get, getting every answer right before they say it on the show it goes viral and then a loan shark who their mum owes eighty thousand dollars to tracks her down and says you need to pay which i would say is one of my biggest criticisms of the film it's such a weak like inciting instant to get the film going because like you don't ever meet the mum she's just a phone she's just a name at the end of the phone and i think the way it talks about some of the relationships they have 
between each other and with her uh is interesting but you never see the mum it's just a couple of phone conversations and then actually owing the money doesn't come to anything not necessarily in a bad way like the way that that sort of thing is um resolved is is very entertaining but it kind of i don't know hinging on this that we need this eighty thousand dollars i'm gonna go audition for this quiz show to try and win it is is a bit of a flimsy sort of setup that being said i still think this film is really funny it's really easy to watch i i think i said to you beforehand that the audition scene of aquafina auditioning to be on can't stop the quiz is worth watching yeah. the film alone it's so funny brilliant it's just it, it, it's just i it, like wait because what, what is it so she's been really really anxious and doesn't want to go on so sandra O's like i've got drugs to give you what do you want and basically gives her these anxiety drugs but uh agrafina not having any experience in drugs just does this oh, the whole bag of them and just fucking spaces the fuck out <laughs> can't pay attention and then Sandra yeah. Ho gives her well, I, can't, I don't know if it ever explicitly says but she gives her some form of upper so she's on this really really weird thing of being on like shitloads of anti-anxiety medication that's like bringing her down but then she's got these uppers and it's just like <laughs> trying to answer these questions and stuff it's just it's really funny it's really really good stuff yeah it's very very funny I <laughs> I have to say that audition scene is one of the funniest things I think I've watched this year. It, yeah, I was absolutely yeah. creasing at it. It was so funny. I think, uh, yeah, I think to be fair, you summed summed it up really. I mean, it is kind of just a very easy watch that has a few scenes. It's got one very, very funny scene. And I, I think everything past that moment, you're kind of like buying into it more as well. So I feel like yeah. you're finding it funnier and funnier as the film goes on. I think so too. And I think it's... <laughs> It it is a much more than just a really nice and really funny or like really nice, entertaining and funny sort of easy to watch popcorny film. I do think there are some nice moments. It does get a little bit overly sentimental and a little bit overly sweet towards the end, but I do still think it's nice. There's that whole thing, like there's a whole important plot point about how Aquafina shat in was it. A, yeah, she shot oh, yeah. in the back garden <laughs> of her cousin's house. And that becomes like a really nice sentimental moment, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it works. It's entertaining. It ain't gonna blow you blow you away, but you know, there isn't anything wrong with that sometimes. The film knows what it is. Um yeah. Uh, and I like I like the end as well, where it tells you where everyone where everyone ended up. I feel like that used to be a thing in films, where it's like this person did this, this person did this, and no one does it anymore. It's just like, yeah, no, I'm all about that. Like it's nice, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the thing I was is, just like, saying one. Like seven, sorry, no, go on. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah, no, you go. Oh, uh, all I was gonna say is one little last thing, which is. Hearing Will Ferrell was in it, I was a little bit worried that Will Ferrell was going to steal the show because, like, Agrafina and Sandro aren't exactly the biggest names in comedy, although they are very funny. Whereas I think Will Ferrell is an incredibly well known name in comedy. I liked his character in this a lot, I, enough that he, he just kind of melts into the background, but he plays it in a way that's really nice. And, like, I think I said, I might have even said to you as well about how I expected Will Ferrell's character to turn out to be. Uh, like a worse person than he was 
but yes, he's pretty yeah, much just too. the guy he seems on the surface and i liked that about it that took me by surprise that he is the person that he seems on camera and that was quite nice there's, there's the, the a lot of the film is basically just sort of like a lot of people just turn out to be a lot nicer than they actually are apart from jason schwartzman's character who is fucking well funny in this he's so funny yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah he's very good at playing that sort of like absolute dickhead pretending to be absolutely lovely (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and yeah and and you know you know that he's a dickhead from the get-go so it's just like it's not a surprise when you learn (laughs) but anyway yeah no i i think it's i think it's really fun really fun film i'm really glad i watched it yeah, I think to be fair, like what well, I was laughing a lot, and to be honest, I did start. I, you are right; it does become slightly over sentimental, but at the same time, I was like fully buying into it because I think Sandra oh, yeah. Owen Aquafina have got great chemistry in this. I, I when I, when you first told me about it, and I first looked at it, I was like, it's interesting dynamic that someone like I know Aquafina can play that sort of straighter role, um, uh, and I know Sandra O can is uh, can play the role she's in but you would think in my first thought is that they might have been like switched but uh, oh yeah definitely actually yeah, yeah. i think i think both play their role really well um they're both familiar with comedy and drama so they can kind of sell both aspects of the film even though it is pretty much just comedy um and there's even yeah. like little side stories that i found really funny um holland taylor who plays francine their neighbor who oh, says yeah, that yeah. she loves um <laughs> Who is I can't oh, remember the actor she says she loves, but it's uh, it's Paul Rubin. It, Paul Rubin's picture, yeah, but I, she I, says that it's someone else. Her whole life is kind of just based on this one love for this actor who she doesn't actually know who it is. Yeah. Oh god, that's funny. <laughs> that's, that's, that's I like how she though. she's just she's just such an asshole in the whole film. It's so funny. Yeah. Like at no point is she ever a good person, yeah. but that's great. Uh, I just want to say as well that I think it's worth mentioning that the director of the film she's called jessica Yu. uh i think this is her first scripted uh thing ever she's done a few documentaries before she actually won uh academy award for best documentary short in the late 90s nice um but this is the first scripted film she did which is a really considering that she's done um documentaries not comedy documentaries serious documentaries before this it's an interesting sort of turn to take um but i think it's great and i think i said to i said to a few of my friends that like although this didn't blow me away i'm probably going to keep an eye out for the next stuff jessica you does because i think there's a lot of stuff in this that's quite creative and fun uh and whether she does comedies or not i i think she has potential to become someone to you know uh someone to keep an eye on someone to watch in the future she's done a lot of tea like tv as well right like i'm seeing here like i think so foss and verdon yeah yeah interesting nothing i've seen so (laughs) because we don't watch tv here we do actually watch tv but uh not a lot so just not very much anyway uh, (laughs) what else yeah basically yeah what else have you seen that you wanted to talk about uh, one more new one called Passages. Um, it's directed by Iris. Passengers and... didn't they come out in like 2016, 2015? Passages. <laughs> um, starring uh, Franz Rogowski, uh, Ben Wishaw, and Adele. I'm definitely going to mispronounce this. Adele Exarchopoulos. 
Um, right. So it's sort of like a multilingual film about a German director who is in a uh, marriage with Ben Whishaw's character. But after his new film is wrapped, uh, he starts, he kind of sparks up in a, uh, in a relationship with Adele Exarchopoulos' character. Um, and it's basically about, it start, starts as sort of like, you think it's going to be very, it, and it is a relationship drama because it's essentially uh, Thomas, who's played by Franz Rogakowski, uh, who's the German director. He is kind of going between this marriage that he has with Ben Whishaw's character and then uh, Agatha, who's this uh, new woman that he started sleeping with. And what it actually becomes about is how one toxic person can essentially destroy and drag people along with them because uh, Thomas is not a good person at all. He starts by openly saying to his husband that he just wants to be with this woman now, then moves in with her and then decides to become petty and jealous and almost childlike. He is essentially a man-child in his feelings. Hmm. Um, once uh, his husband moves on, um, he then becomes a little bit obsessed. Like he's almost like he's obsessed with what he can't have. And this is the whole relationship. Mm. Uh, this is whole relationship dynamic, and it's kind of part character study of someone who's just sort of an irredeemable man child, uh, and also a relationship drama where you're just clutching for these two decent human beings to get away from this person. Um, and it's just full of it. It's very uh, sort of simply shot. Um, I think to be fair, if you watch it, you'll feel like you've watched a lot of sort of indie films that are like this. <laughs> um, sort of very like static camera thing, the kind of just allowing things to happen in the scene more so than doing anything uh, spectacular. But then again, that works as well because you allow it kind of like it's pushing. It's not pushing any boundaries, I wouldn't say, but it's sort of like pushing how far the actors are going in the scene. So I feel like the emotions mm. are starting to become a part, of like very real in the scene and stuff like that. I think it's performed fucking brilliantly by all three of the main uh, cast. And uh, there's just like particular scenes that are really like shocking, but from a very grounded perspective. Like, if anything, we saw in like in our lives. Like it's very down to earth, but quite shocking. So there's a scene where um, Agatha's parents come to visit her and Thomas. Thomas walks in, he's late and he's not very uh, punctual. And he, then he sits down, and they're sort of like questioning him about like where, what's his plans? You know, does he, does he see himself moving back to Germany and things like that? And he like actively decides to just tell her mom to be quiet and like shut up. And then kind of like leave the room but because the film is so like grounded and like cemented in this uh like in in reality you kind of just like shocked that anyone would even just do that <laughs> like yeah that is yeah. like mad behavior but yeah he's a very very toxic human being and he's quite frustrating to watch but this is a pretty beautiful film that is performed wonderfully and it's shot like really delicately um yeah i thought it was really good um really glad i watched it and i feel like 
the past few months i've been watching a sort of like three stars two stars like it's been a bit sad really but this one came and i was like i'm so happy i watched that because i thought it was brilliant yeah i've added it to my list uh off your recommendation it does look really good now i know this is not the thing to like latch on for it but i do love ben wishaw he is an interesting actor and an interesting human being uh he yeah. he does not have any consistency to the roles he's in do you know what i mean like he's paddington bear he's uh is he q in james bond is that which yes he's one of the, the one letters. Here. um he's in the lobster he was in little joe no he's he's just in a lot of lot of stuff so you you never quite know with with a uh, what you get with a Ben Wishaw film, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've added it to the list. I was just looking up. I recognise the name Iris Sachs, but I can't think why. Maybe it's just similar to another director's name because I'm not sure. I also thought that when I um, I thought that when I saw it, and I actually don't think I've seen another one of their films though. So. No, I don't think I, I have seen any I of these films. I know it but... from. No, maybe maybe there's just some sort of obscure. Maybe our lecturers at uni told us about some obscure film he made yeah, ten yeah. fifteen years ago, and we didn't watch it. So it's very possible. <laughs> anyway, that will wrap up for. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for the newer films, but we still got some time for the real rewind. <laughs> So seeing as you just talked about a film, I'm going to talk about a film <laughs> uh, in my real rewind. Uh, it came out last year, 2022. It's called uh, Amma. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, I forget from the film already, which I know doesn't sound particularly inspiring. I've forgotten how the titular uh, name is pronounced. But uh, it's another Sandra O oh film, uh, which, by the way... Between these two films, which I, you know, were done within a year of each other, it's just fantastic range from her. I love Sandro so much. She needs more accolades and attention. She's fantastic. It's quite an interesting film, this. The, the reason I want to talk about it is it, it will not blow you away. It's a sort of a horror film, supernatural, a little bit tense kind of thriller, I guess, um, made on a pretty shoestring budget, I think. Um, but it got absolutely panned when it came out. I'm see, I, I I see a few people saying mixed reviews. It got pretty panned. I think it's got something like twenty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is really harsh. Um, Rough. yeah, and it's it's good. It's not. It will not blow you. It will not blow you away. But it's basically about Sandro playing a Korean immigrant who moved to the states away from her mother. Um, she has a kid who's called Chrissy and they basically live on this rural farm uh, they have a apiary, they raise bees and they sell honey and but they don't have any modern technology at all, they don't have any electricity in the house because uh, Sandra O oh supposedly has an allergic reaction to electronics and electricity but she has this right. uh friend who works in the nearby town who's played by Dermot Mulroney um, and he basically sells her honey for her and it's kind of doing quite well online so you know there's this whole thing of like the apiary is needing to grow but uh, 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 Chrissy is looking at potentially moving away despite being homeschooled her whole life and then Sandra O's uncle comes in and says your mother's died 
in Korea. She died alone calling out for you. And I brought her ashes with me. And you have to... Um, do, there's a sort of special ceremony to make sure that they pass on to the next life. And then sort of supernatural, spooky, ghost-type things happen uh, in which... Amma, who is so it's just sort of the name for mother in Korean, uh, is doing you, you know, th there's a lot of childhood trauma for Sandra O, oh, and it's Amma's trying to be like, you know, I was doing what was best for you, and all these terrible things were warranted. Uh, but at the same time, Sandra O's oh kind of turning into her by saying that her daughter's abandoning her for wanting to go to college and leaving their farm. Um, right. I think it's not the scariest film in the world and it's not the tensest film in the world, but it's a really, really lovely uh, depiction of um, uh, an immigrant story of a relationship with your mother and how you can see things completely different about sort of toxic relationships with your parents despite them in trying to, intending the correct you know they want they're trying to do the right thing but they don't really know what the right thing is and just kind of talking a lot about heritage and how older generations treat things differently to the younger generations um i just i i it's like it's really short it's like 80 minutes i think it might even be just under 80 minutes um but i just thought it was good it wasn't the scariest film in the world, but it also isn't trying to be the scariest film. I saw a lot of the criticism being that it isn't that scary, but I also don't think the film's trying to be scary. I think the film is trying to just be a bit tense throughout. Um, but, I mean, I don't know what to say. I think Sandra O oh is really good in it. I think the um, woman who plays her daughter, uh, I hadn't seen her in everything, anything else. She's called Five or Stewart. She was really good in it. Um, but yeah, anyway, I just thought it was worth talking about it because... Um, uh, I think it got a lot of uh, unwarranted criticism, basically. Interesting. I, I I kind of vaguely remember it coming out. Yeah, but I don't. I didn't really read much about it. Didn't see it. It's interesting. I mean, I feel like we we say this a lot that sort of like if there's an underlying with like horrors and sort of like thrillers, if there's an underlying underlying like real world thing. Uh, the tension and horror coming from it actually makes it more no it kind of makes it scarier in a way i don't know if that's something mm. that it was doing but like i mean we talked about it at the bfi film festival something like relic yeah the australian yeah, yeah, yeah. horror film about like that is fucking haunting like just terrifying because it's what it's really about is sort of someone's loss of identity as they fall into dementia that kind of real world stuff it's it does make a film much more interesting um so if it's a bit like that yeah, i definitely consider checking it out yeah definitely i i there's other films i could recommend over it but it, it's a really quick runtime and i don't think it's as i think it was pretty unfair criticism on it so uh, i i i think it's a it's not a bad film if you're looking for something quick uh and and easy to watch there isn't a comedy yeah. It, it it sort of fills that niche there a little bit. Uh, I have another couple of things I could talk about. Uh, is there anything you wanted to talk about though? Um, there's only one for me really. Uh, there's quite a few. I mean, there is quite a few I've watched actually because I've been trying to sort of watch things that I've 
had DVDs for for the past six years and I've never watched and um, <laughs> things that I've, I've just been on my watch list since I was about 15. But um, I thought the what more interesting one because I thought I think it's an interesting part of sort of Hollywood history. Um, so it's a, it's an, a war epic called The Sand Pebbles from 1966. Um, and it's directed by Robert Wise and it's starring Steve McQueen. And uh, it's set in China in sort of 1926. I don't fully know the backstory, but as I'm aware, it's sort of like a war-torn China where the US Navy was somewhat involved, but then it kind of became hostile towards the US uh, because the US were kind of in their country, not really, uh, didn't really give them a choice, to be honest. And they kind of decided no one, neither side of uh, the war-torn China really want them there. So it kind of all escalates mm. and stuff like that. But it is basically about this one character called, um, I think his name's Holman, uh, Jake Holman, I think his name is. Um, and he goes, he is uh, recruited onto this Navy ship that, and everyone's kind of a bit trepidatious about him because he basically has got a, he's got a um, reputation for being someone who's quite an independent person and sort of isn't very like team focused. Like he's done a lot of jobs of on lots it. of other ships and <laughs> stuff like that. So uh, they're a bit funny with him to start with. I mean, the film is three hours long. Um Mm. it's but why it's interesting is because i read this thing about like at the time it was actually quite critically acclaimed it's got relatively good ratings from a lot of people it was nominated for i think it's one of steve mcqueen's only oscar nominations um oh wow but the the films come out at a time when the hollywood epic and very like classic way of making movies is kind of ending uh, I think it ended mm. in Lawrence of Arabia, if I'm honest. I'm sure there is other ones <laughs> that came out after, but that's like two years before it. And I feel like they were at a point where, obviously then in 66, 67 is when you start to get the uh, sort of like Peter Bogdanovich and um, even like Spielberg, Scorsese, making their sort of like way towards uh, making their like debuts and stuff like that. So Hollywood is very mm. clearly changing, and it's. I found it so interesting because I was reading something about it, saying that like it's so interesting that the film was sort of like critically acclaimed by a lot of people, whereas you've got people that saw it as like a one side of being like, oh, this is what you know, films. You don't make films like this anymore and stuff like that. Probably old people, um, <laughs> and then you've got like one side of the, this is just kind of faded into the background of cinema history because it's quite frankly just not as good as the things like Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai. It, it is very much trying to be a David Lean kind of epic. Um, but I, I did give it a three mm-hmm. because while I think I think it's quite technically beautiful, a lot of it was shot in Hong Kong, I think. And it's pretty staggering. Some of the visual, like wide scale stuff is brilliant. But it's not really, it doesn't like span a lot of characters and stuff. It spans a lot of time, but it doesn't really... Uh, but I don't know I will never watch it again I'm glad I watched it just for like is it what what it means for like Hollywood history but as a film it is Mm. bloated beyond belief Um, it's got storylines that are just weird and don't and end really weirdly Uh, there's just like there's one scene where just like 
So basically, he comes onto the ship, and then he's this engineer who knows what he's doing. But on the ship, there's like the Chinese people that work on the ship, and then there's the Americans. The Chinese people kind of it's sort of just like keep to yourself, run uh, like sort of your people. So like there's like a Chinese leader of the boat, and then there's the American captain. Um, <laughs> and then in this one scene, something I don't know, I don't know boats, but something comes loose, and this big machinery accidentally kills some Chinese guy and then everyone's kind of pissed at Steve McQueen's character but he doesn't really make I was like why it's like it's not his fault and then they, they don't really give a reason as to why they're pissed off at him either <laughs> it's just as bits oh, like that okay. and I was just like I was like this needs I don't understand what I'm supposed to get from this scene um yeah the length and you said it was three out three hours long scene. Yes, it is about three hours of that, but um, I did I didn't mind some of it. I did I did quite like some of it. The very classic feel to it. I mean, it is very much like, and also yeah. there is the element of like with it being an American sort of like classic Hollywood. It's very much like America are the heroes and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, but for a lot of it, actually, I think that actually Steve McQueen's character. And there are some conversations of whether these people actually need to be here. And Steve McQueen's character isn't inherently like this big hero. He has his heroic moments. Um, but yeah, no, I I, um, I just feel like it's trying to do a lot, but it never actually does anything perfectly. It's just quite a very pretty film sometimes and sometimes a very entertaining film. But some of the narratives in it are fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm glad I watched it because, like I said, it's it's one of those old school ones, and uh, I've been trying to watch a bit more of that. And I'm I'm glad I've watched it. I'll never watch it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can glad it, I can just it, say I've watched it now. Not that it'll ever come nice up in a conversation with anyone. No, I'm sure. I was gonna say it's nice watching films like that sometimes because like films are just made differently in different eras. So sometimes it's nice watching a film that is distinctly from an older era. Yeah, um, yeah, very much. And because I think sometimes, like sometimes, you can watch a film from like the 80s or 90s, and it being distinctly from the 80s or 90s isn't always necessarily a good thing. <laughs> but uh, a yeah. more golden age era of Hollywood is usually a good thing, I think. Uh, in terms of you know uh, the intention for watching the film for that sort of um, filmmaking but I was going to just talk about another couple of things if that's alright I'll make one of them really short because I think we'll be talking about it in our year in review which was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse I did finally watch yeah. that uh, which you spoke about a few months ago I believe um, I did yeah yeah it's really good uh, I really liked it Um <sighs> My my biggest problem with this film, and it is entirely a me thing, and I said this when Infinity War came out, is I just don't like films that end on such big cliffhangers that feel like yeah, half yeah, the yeah. film. And I said, I said a similar thing yeah. about Dune as well, that like it's yeah. so hard to say how much you like a film and how much you uh, think how good you think the film is when you've only seen half of it. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like watching yeah, Fellowship yeah. of the Ring and then going, oh, Lord of the Rings is really good, or Lord of the Rings is really good. You don't know because you haven't seen the next two thirds. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I I heard about the sort of um, uh, transgender, rep potential transgender representation with Gwen Stacy too, which I don't know. I I heard people talk about, it, you know, is it maybe, is Gwen maybe transgender? I don't know. I, I think it's pretty clear that she is. There's a flag in her room that's a transgender flag that says protect trans kids. 
that's pretty obvious. I looked it up afterwards. Apparently, it got banned from places like United Arab Arab Emirates. The whole film got banned from places like United Arab Emirates because of that one moment. And, you know, most of the stuff in uh, Spider-Gwen's world is the trans flag colours. The sort of blues, pinks, and white. So, I don't know. I feel like that is going to... It's going to be interesting to see if that goes anywhere in the second one. Uh, But aside from that, obviously, it's just... It's really, really well made, isn't it? It's just a really fucking good film. It's super entertaining. Um, it's really, really funny. I don't, I haven't seen the first one in a while. I don't remember if the first one's quite as funny as this one is. Um, yeah, I, think, I would say, I would say they were probably leveled on humor. To be fair, I think the first one is really funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm glad to watch it. Watched it. it is, it is. I, I kind of was worried that I was being a bit too critical on it because I don't think. I mean, it's just not as good as the first one. No. Um, but it, I mean, it's not far off. It's still an absolute technical marvel. Like you yeah. cannot understate how special these Spider-Man films are. And I think it's hard to say how good it is until you've seen the third one, because as I say, it, it, it's difficult to compare them because you've got the first one, which could have been a standalone film on its own, and then the second one, which is very clearly part one of at least two, maybe more. I don't know. I've, I'm pretty sure they're just intending it to be a trilogy, but. Anyway, yeah. I just want to say I've watched that and I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the year in review. The other one I wanted to talk about was uh, Infinity Pool, which was the Brandon Cronenberg film. Oh, yeah. Um, which is his follow-up to Possessor. That was the reason I just wanted to mention it briefly is because obviously talking about 2020 and, and all the films we watched then, I think, we, did we both say that Possessor was our favourite film from 2020? Yeah. I think, I think we did, did yeah. yeah. wonderful film absolutely wonderful film i think infinity pool is is really really good it's not quite as good i think where uh, possessor didn't have a moment in which the tension or engagement dropped for me i think or like not even just that but just like the uniqueness of the whole film like the whole film just kept me guessing the whole time i think there's moments in infinity pool where it kind of dips into predictable is the wrong word but again bland maybe too harsh too but like there's lots of stuff in it that's super creative and super different and it's like there's there's moments where i audibly gasped watching it uh which was incredible but then there's sort of stretches of every now and again of like 20 minutes or so where it's like i feel like i've seen this kind of thing in in a lot of other films but then you get into the really good stuff again. I just think it's it, it's really good and it's definitely worth watching. I think Alexander Skarsgård is fantastic in it. Mia Goth is incredible in it. She's so good. She's haunting in it. Um, it really, really good film. Bizarre, strange. Um, I would say be prepared to see a close-up of a penis ejaculating. That was not something I was expecting to see. <laughs> um... Sorry, right. I've, uh, I've watched plenty of Lars von Trier. I'm sure uh, <laughs> it's not quite. Yeah, it's, it's not quite some. It's not quite as graphic as something like Lars von Trier, but it does kind of just come out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to sound, you know, come out of nowhere. But anyway, um, yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I think it's good. It's good. Uh, it will make it. It will it, nipples will gross you out as well. Though that's something I would say. Um, uh, it, th- there's a lot of there's imagery in it that's uh, comparable to sequences in Possessor, I would say, which is interesting. I hope that doesn't become a staple in Brandon Cronenberg's films that a third of the way into the film, 
a sort of like um surreal sequence happens where kind of yeah. crazy visuals happens i hope he keeps doing crazy visuals but in terms of the structure it happens pretty much exactly the same time that it happens in possessor and it's kind of like oh the structurally this feels very similar to possessor right now it becomes something very different after that but it's kind of like structurally it feels like a very similar to possessor which is strange because he doesn't write his films so uh maybe he just kind of takes towards that i don't know have you um, yeah anyway infinity War is definitely worth watching have you watched um antiviral yet no i haven't it's been on my list for a while I feel yeah, like I, I don't want to rewatch it, but I want you to watch it so that <laughs> you can tell me what you think of it. Because I don't, I can't be to rewatch it. So I just want you to tell me in, your opinion. Is it not good then? No, I, I thought it was like it was good. I didn't think it was. It's not nowhere near the level of Possessor. But I thought it was alright. I thought it was super interesting, but it is a bit of a weird film, and I just can't be bothered to rewatch it when there's so many other things <laughs> I need to watch. <laughs> so yeah, you watch true. it, and then. If you watch it, it might inspire me to rewatch it. Maybe. Well, it depends if it's worth rewatching or not. Because I mean, like, yeah, exactly. I, Basically, I want I, you to tell me if it's worth rewatching. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to it then. It's, it's interesting though, because obviously, I, being David Cronenberg's son, I think there's a lot of pressure for him to make uh, good films because of how well known his dad is. Uh, and I think he's really on his path, especially Possessor and Infinity Ball are one way to see your sort of parents' heritage and uh, see inspiration there, but do a very distinctly different thing from it. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah. There's a, I think you can see where he's, he's obviously asked for... <laughs> he's either felt like he's wanted to um draw inspiration from his dad or maybe he even asked his dad's opinion on certain things because like obviously with those sort of body horror moments in possessor and there's i'd say there's probably more body horror moments in infinity pool but he he's made a very distinct voice of his own with both of these films so i'm just excited the guy's weird like his dad he's just a fucking weirdo and that's great i love pe weird people who make films usually anyway they usually make good films <laughs> Well, his films worth watching. Like you couldn't watch Infinity with Paul and be like, "Oh yeah, I knew that that was going." You, no, you did. It's, you know, you know when you watch a film and you're just like, if anyone says they knew where this was going, they're a fucking liar. They what? They looked yeah, up yeah, Wikipedia yeah. before they went into the film. They read the plot before they went in. Um, but anyway, <laughs> slight tangent there. Um, well, thanks very much for listening. That's the end of this episode of the review show presented by Real. Uh, you can find the podcast on all your podcasting platforms at uh, uh, Real Film Podcast. Um, you can find us online at realreviewing.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, I was gonna, X, Twitter, whatever it's called now, uh, threads, everything at Real Reviewing apart from Letterboxd and Tumblr, where it refused from real. Before the year's out, we're going to be doing a podcast about biopics, and then, not sure exactly on the date, but we will be doing a year in review, um, which, by the way, Spotify wrapped us out. Uh, I can send it to you if you want, Corey. Apparently our most listened to <laughs> episode was... Uh, we can do Spotify wrapped for podcasters. And I oh, was listening to oh, right, okay. Was... I thought you were just talking about your own personal one then. No, 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 no. I, I should have probably prefaced I, I already saying, know. I've done the real. <laughs> yes, I've sent it to you. But I can send you the real reviewing one, no, the real film podcast one. And in that, our most listened to episode of the last year was 2022 year in review. 
So nice. Uh, they're always a hit. So come back. They're great. They're long, but they're good. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff. Um, we usually we usually do the same thing every year, which is I'll get around to watching that, and then we don't get around to watching it until about a week before we do the re- the year room review, and then they're all fresh in our head as we've just watched ninety percent of the films from that year. Uh, <laughs> it's a re- yeah, it's a really good it's a really good structure. Yeah, we just do a review show, and we just end up talking about one film for like half an hour. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's the proper way of doing it. That's how you do. That's how you podcast, <laughs> baby. Anyway, <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.